Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my land. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, this is Annie for Showreel, your look at uh, Australian films and the film industry that uh, 3CR has on every Thursday at 11am. 3CR has also got the uh, program podcast, so you can go to the website, 3CR's website, and uh, look at not just Showreel, but other podcasts, interesting programs that have been on 3CR throughout the week. Today we're going to be listening to a chat I had with Margot Nash. Now, Margot Nash is a very experienced Australian filmmaker and uh, she's recently produced a a film called The Silences. Now, The Silences is actually autobiographical. It's uh, a look at her relationship with her mother, but also about the silences that are within families that uh, have an effect on how you turn out as a grown-up. It's not purely a uh, a personal journey. It has ramifications for any audience that chooses to watch it. It's a fascinating film and it's very cleverly put together. So let's listen to hear what Margot Nash has to say about The Silences. Um, now, uh, we're talking about the silences, of course, and um, I-, I was looking back over your uh, history and uh, I noticed that your research topic for your master's was the research, writing and visual preparation for a feature film. And I thought that's a perfect way of starting when we talk about the silences because it's billed as an essay and it's fragile in the sense that it's like movies as poetry. Uh, how do you collect up all those details for such a fine, lightweight, insubstantial, but incredibly uh, heavy uh, theme as uh, a woman looking back at her relationship with her mother? <laughs> I, I really liked the film. I, I just thought it was uh, so um, difficult to actually get across uh, all the insubstantial but incredibly uh, tight things that uh, shape us. I think it's really interesting that you use the word insubstantial because my first reaction is to go, no, it's not insubstantial. But then I, I take that actually in a bigger way because I think that women's lives are often, um, you know, the cinema is full of great heroic stories about people who overcome, you know, great hardship and behave well. And 
so many of us live lives that are much messier than that. And I think a lot of women's lives are seen as not important. And and yet it is that, and because of that, they're left out of history. They're left out of culture and history. And I think my mother's life, in a way, was, you know, you could say that was an insubstantial life, but it was huge for her. And that story, I thought, um, had a huge effect. I mean, what what mothers, how mothers experience the world, and then how they pass on their frustrations and their um, their unlived lives to their daughters is something that I experienced with my mother, and I wanted to understand her life um, a little better um, because I it had such an effect upon me and so i it i wouldn't have made the film if she hadn't died um and both my parents are dead now but in going back and as a daughter and trying to understand my mother's life um and making a film about it um in a way there's it's they're two different things um because in going back and trying to understand my mother's life and how her life affected me is something that I did privately within a safe space that is not public. You know, I've done quite a lot of work. And when you come through a family like mine where there's mental illness in the family, there's incredibly incredible problems that happen between the parents and you know, you have to go and get some help at some point in your life, and I certainly have done that. And so I'd done a lot of work on this um, in a private, safe space. And I think because I'd done that work, I I felt like I could speak about it publicly. Um, So I wasn't making the film as therapy. I'd kind of done that. and But I thought it was... Uh, and it's it was important to speak about lives that slip outside of cultural memory and that are not recorded because they're not big heroic lives they're tricky lives and but they have a huge impact on other people's lives and so I'd done that kind of work outside of film and then when I started working on the film so that was the the research for how I could tell the story was a whole new thing. You know, what did I have to tell the story? And I've been making films for a long time and um, I had made two feature dramas and I wrote a big feature script called My Mother Eve <laughs> mm-hmm. about a um, uh, an actress, a young uh, sort of... Mi- actress in her 40s with her elderly mother and it was really based on me and mum but I fictionalised it I mean I was I, I was at the pram factory in Carlson in the 70s and the um, in the 70s and my mother was still alive then and it was based on something that happened to me when I was at the pram factory and um, as trying to be an actress trying to live my mother's unlived life and it was a big period drama and I couldn't get the money for it. So I started thinking about how I might tell it as a documentary and did I have the materials? And I knew I had lots of family photographs um, and I, I'd had some 
funky home movies I'd sort of shot or really I shot some stuff as research footage for the feature drama um, and but was it substantial enough for a film and I'd done an oral history with my sister which was a three hour high quality oral history um, because I wrote a chapter for a book on growing up in Ringwood on my father's hop research station for a book on memory and suburbia. So I had that, had these bits and little bits and pieces. And then one day I thought, I've got my films. And um, I, particularly something like Vacant Possession, which I made in the 90s, which you mentioned before, where I drew on my personal story, particularly in creating the character of the father. And it, so Vacant Possession is, is a fiction, but I had, you know, that never happened. But I, I did recreate literally some scenes from my childhood and I based the father on my father. And I thought, I've got my films, I've got Vacant Possession, I've got some shorts I've made, some documentaries I've made, where I've drawn on my memories to create images to tell other stories Maybe I can use them, and that was that was the big game change. That's when the light bulb went on, and I went, I think I might might have a film here, and um, and then of course there was the process of how do I blend these images, and some of them were poetic images; they weren't literal. Some of them were literal and illustrative, but some of them weren't, and so that was a sort of a process that happened in the editing room really trying to work intuitively and to bring images in at different times. Well, how did you do that? That's amazing. Tell me about that. It, <laughs> it happened intuitively in the editing room. I love that. Well, I So think you had a collection of them and then you, it was all about timing? Well, I had a collection. I, I got a residency in Zurich a filmmaker residency in 2012. As and you was do. Four, as well. It was so <laughs> lucky because I wouldn't have had a film otherwise. I had 14 weeks and I had to give some master classes and develop a project of my own. And I took everything with me that I thought I might be able to use. So I had all this stuff and I taught myself the digital editing because I'd only been a film editor many years ago and, um, and I'd always liked editing. And... Um, I had this thing I, I wrote, um, I've become an academic and I wrote an article in 2000, well I'd actually was writing it before I went to Zurich, I'd, it wasn't published till 2013 but it, I'd, I'd written it before then, where I sort of talked about how the film industry is so obsessed with certainty and formulas and they want scripts for everything and actually the creative process requires uncertainty and it requires the intuitive and um, the balance is sort of wrong. I felt the balance was wrong. We always have to fix everything down on the page before we get the money and I wanted to free fall and play and work intuitively and, and, and then bring craft skills into it to shape it but actually start with a more intuitive process and that residency, because I didn't have money from the funding bodies who were going to tell me what to do, I, I could do what I liked. I, I went to Zurich and I just jumped in and thought, where do I start? And I wanted to start on the island when my sister and I were 
arguing about, about what to put on Mum's grave, and and I, I mean, I and had, I had some, to jump in here and say, I want to live there. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and so remote, and it is a sanctuary, a bird sanctuary, and um, you know, I keep it. I keep it quiet as to actually where it is on Great Barrier Island and there's a sort of community who um, uh, bought 450 acres in the 70s and some of them still live there. My sister has land there. So it's very beautiful and very remote. You can only get there by boat and I always wanted to open the film with images from the boat coming into the land because it's special. Oh, sure is. I said to somebody they have to go and see this film just to feel that feeling at the beginning of the film. Oh, thank you. And of course I return to it at the end of the film too, to the sort of, to the land, to the country, to the, that place, um, just so powerful. And of course by doing that you've got your beginning and you've got the spine, haven't you, to your yes. film? Yes, yes. And, um, but to find the structure was quite hard because in that 14 weeks that I was in Zurich, I cut sequences, some of which have not changed hardly at all. And But the structure that I had jumped in and done didn't work. It was sort of chronological. And when you start looking at your family history, you start going into the ancestors and it starts to look like, who do you think you are? And it wasn't the story. I had to really come back and show it to people and get feedback and keep working on it and it took me quite a while to crack the structure. So it's a bit like um, uh, the drama that's uh, contained in a short story, really? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, you have to find that heart of the drama and not go off on Great Uncle Frank who sailed the seven seas, you know, who no one gives cares about, you know, so... Um, but I had to put all that stuff in at the beginning just to get it out because I was curious and I'd get it out of my system and then it all had to go. So there were big sequences that just disappeared. and But some things just fell out and, um, and have barely changed. And they're the ones that I treasure because they were the very intuitive um, ones. And... Um, Maybe I, I mean, I did things like I went back to Great Barrier Island with a better camera and reshot those images because the first ones I did were really wobbly and and I did high definition scans of my films instead of standard definition. You know, I had to do stuff like that to make yeah, you had to work. to bring it up to yeah, I had to to bring it up to standard because it was very funky at first and that took a while. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. Hi, my name's Bentley Dean, co-director of the film Tanner, and you're on 3CR. Hi, my name is Rolf Deheer. I don't live in Melbourne. I live across the water in Tasmania. But if I did live in Melbourne, my number one radio station would be 3CR because it's about community and community matters. 
You're on 3CR with Annie on Showreel and uh, we're listening to a chat that I had with director, filmmaker Margot Nash. Now Margot Nash is, as I said, a very experienced filmmaker and she's had a background in uh, not just shooting films but editing films and uh, basically creating things from scratch. Now The Silences is a very personal uh, filmic essay but uh, it has uh, a lot to be said for uh, people who watch it uh, outside her family group. And uh, it's, uh, the particular is easily able to be taken to uh, expand on issues in uh, people's own lives. So uh, we'll continue with our chat with Margot Nash with The Silences, which is opening in cinemas such as the Nova Select Cinemas, over the the next uh, month. In fact, you should uh, put it in your calendar to have a look at Margot Nash's The Silences. That's all about the uh, almost seamless quality of the telling of this story. I I felt that. And I'm glad to know (laughs) it was a question. I mean, you're laying bare, but in actual fact, it is actually a piece and I, I'm quite attracted by the idea that it's called an essay, um, the standing outside of your personal story, which then can actually uh, relate to everybody's story. That It's quite fascinating. Well, that's, that's what, as a filmmaker, you always hope. And making something like this, the, the biggest fear is that it, it will be seen as so individualistic and nobody else will be able to relate to it. But this is not true. People... I, I hear people's stories, people, it opens up um, a space, I think, for people to think about their own stories. And someone said it gives people permission to speak about their own stories because I do think some of these messy stories, they're kept hidden and silent because they're not important enough to speak about. And yet they are incredibly important. And uh, people are embarrassed and ashamed of... Um, of things and particularly I think around mental illness and disability and all of those things that my film explores and I wanted to honour those experiences that my mother had been through and my sister and I had been through and and my dad you know it was a tough old story it's a tough story and I think my parents in their own way were both incredibly brave but I didn't know that actually when I first started making the film I just I, I didn't really think my mother was brave and by the end of the film I had a lot more compassion for her I don't think she was brave particularly but I had a lot of compassion for her at the end of making the film yeah I noticed putting her story out there yeah and also I mean uh, I, that was quite noticeable because you uh, showed such an attractive picture of her as oh, an yes. older person she looked amazing in that picture it's a lovely photo <laughs> and if you look closely you can see me in, reflected in her eyes with the camera <laughs> Goodness me! Uh, the um, t- the how did you get the title, or was that always there? No, it wasn't always there. It had many different titles. Um, I'm not quite sure where I. I, I well, it's know. important to the story. Silences. Yeah, it the just, silences. It, it, I, I really don't know where it came from, but except that it's where I had. I kept writing ideas down over and over again, and. 
the, the idea of silence and the silences that were always in the house, that my mother couldn't speak about things and we weren't allowed to talk about things and there were hidden secrets and it just seemed to capture it. And um, so I thought, well, I'll try it out and it just stuck. Now, it's interesting too that you did the actual narration yourself, which is uh, quite a nice thing. Uh, I've interviewed... Oh, her. Sophia Turkovitz? Yes, yeah. Once My Mother, yes. Once My Mother. That's amazing, yes. And, um, An incredible story. Incredible story and also equally interestingly well put together film. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, and it does uh, actually have correspondences in a sense. Then quite yes. entirely yes. different, but they have yes. correspondences. And inter- do. And interestingly, she did not do the narration because she told no. me that uh, uh, when she started to do it, yeah, she thought she, she just couldn't do it. But actually, you are the narrator. Yes. I had already narrated quite a few films, and I'd been an actor, and I thought, I, I can do it, and I don't want an actor to do it. I want my voice to tell the story. And um, But it was, it was a tricky process. I recorded it on maybe eight or nine different occasions. So it was never recorded in one go. It was because um, I went in and recorded pickups and changed things and cut things out. And um, I first recorded it in Zurich, but I don't th- none of that recording ended up in the film. I recorded it at UTS where I work with a very beautiful microphone uh, with um, a young sound recordist uh, called Luke Bacon and he, I'd known Luke for many years and he he was great because I didn't have anyone directing me but I just said, look, if I ever get that draggy, oh my poor terrible life that I've lived <laughs> in my voice just stop me right there and so sometimes I'd say, Margot, you've got the drag and i go, oh, okay, and then I'd just redo it and we'd listen and then we'd mark the takes that we both thought were good. And so it was, you know, it was it was a bit hard for Michael Gissing to mix it sometimes because they were recorded on different occasions. But it was the same microphone and the same recordist and I think it, it worked out fine. Uh, your, how long did it take altogether? Well, I started putting the film together in September 2012 in Zurich and I'd spent maybe a few months before that getting all the materials together and digitising stuff and planning the trip and then so but I didn't start putting everything together until I got to Zurich in September and then I finished it in April 2015. My name is Sue Brooks and I am the director of Looking for Grace and you are listening to 3CR. That's it for Showreel this week and uh, hopefully you will have appreciated uh, over the last few weeks the uh, amount of great Australian films that are on at the moment at some of the cinemas out there. Uh, You will love to go off and see The Silences, I'm sure. We've just been talking to the director, Margot Nash, about The Silences. But there's also other films like A Month of Sundays, which is a terrific film, very low-key, very funny, but quite... uh, interesting in its analysis of uh, male culture, basically. Uh, There's also uh, Porno, which is coming out. There's also The Daughter. There's uh, quite a few very interesting Australian films that are on at the moment. There's some documentaries, such as uh, Wide Open 
Sky, which we talked about on uh, this program. A uh, lovely film. Uh, if you want a, a uh, self-affirming uh, a feeling of optimism or how you can have an effect on the world, go and see Wide Open Sky. There's Sherpa, which is a fascinating uh, documentary about... Uh, uh, what it's like to be a Sherpa uh, taking Westerners uh, up uh, the Himalayas, up Everest. If you've never thought about it, it's actually a job site and uh, uh, and uh, it's not always plain sailing. But anyway, there are a couple of different films that you could go out and see. Uh, there are others, of course, that you should keep your eyes open for. Uh, that's it for Annie from Showreel. I'll talk to you next week. Hopefully, we'll be talking about the uh, St Kilda Film Festival. Bye. It's not a TV studio. Josh, turn these lights out. It's a fucking rock concert. Ready to stand up. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.